Well, I want to hit a subject um, before lunch that is one that hopefully is not dear to us, but one that we have to deal with, if that's the best way to say it. And that's this idea of a critical spirit. Let me start by saying we do not have communication problems. We have interpretation problems. Okay? Again, that's very important. Like I said the other night, we don't have marriage problems. We have character deficiencies that show up in the marriage. We don't have communication problems. We have interpretation problems. We hear each other just fine. What we hear is the issue. And we tend to listen to people not according to what they're saying, but the condition of our own hearts and our belief system about those people. And so too often, this is why the scripture says, in the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When we have a person that is very critical or a critical spirit, that's less about the person they're communicating about and more about the condition of that person's heart, their belief system and the agendas that are within them. And so I want us to begin to explore that because all of us suffer from times of having a critical spirit. And we've all encountered people who have been very critical towards us. And in both cases, it's not the problem of words. I can be as nice as you want me to be with you, but still be nasty in my heart. And I tell people the goal is not to try to be kind to other people as far as an action, but to have a character of kindness that requires more transformation. The goal is not so much not to be critical, but to have a heart that's transformed that my words are reflecting the condition of my heart. Because we all know how hard it is to skin and grin, right? Because your heart is somewhere else, but you're trying to say these nice things, but you really want to say something else. It's not who you are. That's why it's not working. Which is why God is having to break us, to change us, so that our hearts and our words are more consistent. That's what we call integrity. The more that what I'm saying matches where my heart is, I'm walking in integrity. I remember when I was at my mother's house, my mother had a dear friend whose daughter was with her, and they were was doing the holiday season, maybe about 10 years ago. And this young lady was watching TV, and every person that came on the station, every woman in particular, she had something negative to say. If it wasn't about her hair, it was about her shoes. If it wasn't about her shoes, it was about her makeup. If it wasn't about her makeup, it was about her hair. I mean, everything you can think of, she was vicious. And I said to myself, wow, how nasty can you be? So then I I said something to her. I said, tell you what, I'll give you $10 if for the next five minutes, anybody that comes on television, you'll say something positive. I'll give you 10 bucks. I still have that $10. (laughs) Now, why am I saying that? It's dangerous how critical we can be with other people. I I remember sharing with the person, any fool can tell you what's wrong with you. It takes a wise person to bring solutions with the problems. And what I've learned over the years, people who just are gunning for me don't have solutions when they come. They just have criticisms. And I've learned over the years to accept that your interest was not to help but to hurt. Therefore, I see your agenda, I accept your agenda, I just won't accommodate your agenda. And the reality is, criticism is dangerous 
Because criticism, and I like to use it as different from critique. And that's just a personal thing there. You can't find that anywhere. Let me explain what I mean by the difference. Criticism, I'm just after and looking at the negative part of you with no good intent in mind. So let me read the definition. Critical attitude, our negative thinking that relates to people. Dwelling upon the perceived faults of another with no view to their good. Let me read that again. Our negative thinking that relates to people dwelling upon the perceived, and I should say, and or actual faults of another with no view to their good. Sometimes we can focus on what's wrong with people so much that that becomes our disposition of thinking, our disposition of looking, our disposition of processing. And sometimes what we think is negative about them is more tied to our personal preferences with them than actually what's negative about them. And as a shepherd, I've had to work over the years and in our marriage and with working with other married couples and everyone, I've had to help people see the difference between finding fault with someone because they're different from you versus finding fault with someone because they have sinned according to Scripture. You know there are two different things, right? Now, the more arrogant the person, the more difficult it is for them to distinguish between their personal standards and God's biblical precepts. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people to where their criticism of someone is because they don't think like them. They don't process like them. They don't do it their way. And I said, you know what I know the problem is? You wanted to marry yourself. (laughs) And since you wanted to marry yourself, you have spent most of your marriage trying to conform your spouse into your image. It's not working. You wanted a many you. God made us in the image of himself, not in the image of one another. So for you to try to make this person like you, that's why this marriage is so miserable. They can't be you. They weren't designed to be you. They were created in the image of God, not the image of you. And the more you keep trying to reduce them and attack them because they're not like you, what have you just said about God's image bearer? Am I making sense to you, ladies and gentlemen? And the danger of that is that sometimes we don't even see it. That's the Romans 14 where it talks about this idea of, if you will, don't let that which is good for you be spoken of as evil. There are many preferences that we have that are not wrong. But when you start to condemn another person because their preference is different than yours, When you condemn them because your way is the way and the only way and no other way to do anything is right but your way, you've just elevated a personal precept over a biblical precept, which means you're no longer seeing and walking in love, which leads to a lot of criticism. Does that that make sense? I've had to endure. I've, I've given as much as I've taken over the years, and God has really had to bring these things to light to help me, to help others, to process just how dangerous it is to elevate your standard as the way. Most of the fights I deal with with people in their marriage is very simple. My way is the way. This person's wrong because they don't think like me. We're here in counseling to get you to convince them that they need to think according to my standards because everybody knows that if we just do it my way, we wouldn't have the problems we're having in this marriage. So therefore, you need to convince them to line up with my standard and you need to accept that I'm right so that we can get on with a happy marriage I deserve. 
Is this not what you hear all the time? And the sad part is they're so blind by their own pride, they think they're right. And the moment you expose the reality of their hearts before them, you become the enemy too. Has anyone ever experienced that before with someone? Or maybe that's been you. (laughs) This critical spirit is a dangerous thing. And as we look at it, let me read the definition again. I want us to look at just the effects of it and walk through it practically. Again, our negative thinking that relates to people dwelling upon, again, I want you to add this. It says the perceived faults and or actual faults of another person with no view to their good. We have to be careful about things that irritate us with other people that are more about our personal standards than God's biblical precepts. And we need to have discernment to distinguish between them and to deal with our hearts and all of it. With that in mind, I want us to look at this by a very practical um, process or principle from this. Look at Numbers chapter 12. And as we look at Numbers chapter 12, I want to walk through the passage for just a moment. And then I want us to think about some of the things that we see in this. And basically, it's Miriam and Aaron have a problem with Moses because of the woman he married. Now, if we do Bible study methods correctly, look at this word they mentioned twice, which forces you to go back and recognize this. It says, then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses, spoke against Moses because purpose of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And why would you say that twice? <laughs> so I wanted to go study what a Cushite woman is, and apparently a Cushite woman is a woman from the African descent. So they had a problem with Moses marrying this black woman and was talking about it, and there was an issue with this, right? And that's just kind of freaked me out. I'm like, okay, all right. And then, verse 2, and they said, has the Lord indeed spoke only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Now, what I find fascinating about this, whatever issue they had with Moses and the woman he married, as well as with Moses, there was some backdoor conversations, some gossip, talking about their leader instead of praying for their leader. And that's very dangerous. And the reality is God was listening to this. It says, now the man Moses was very humble more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, you three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam. When they had both come forward, he said, hear now my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? I mean, let's just process that for a moment. The intimacy that God had with Moses and the fact that someone was speaking against him the intimacy that he has with us 
and when people speak against us and when we speak against each other, which is why when you see in James, it talks about don't speak against your brother. You know, because then you become a judge of the law. I mean, there's just so much in the fact that we are made in the image of God and how precious that is in the sight of God that we have to be very careful about the words that come out of our mouth with one another. But what's fascinating here with this intimacy, one of the things I want you to think about before we move forward is that if you look at, I believe it's Psalm 107, this passage kind of confirms where it says, the Israelites saw the acts of God, but Moses knew his ways. There's an intimacy that's happening, not just a knowledge of the reality of God, but an intimacy with that, which is what John 17, 3 calls us to. When it says, this is eternal life, that you may know the Father and the Son whom he had sent. That knowing is this type of knowing. It's not just an intellectual understanding of God. It's more of a connecting with. Give an example. Some of you have studied the grace of God, but some of you have experienced and encountered the grace of God. Some of you have memorized the 23rd Psalm, but some of you know the shepherd of the 23rd Psalm. See, it's that type of thing that God is calling us to in relationship with him. So how do you feel when someone speaks against someone that's precious to you? That's why I tell people all the time, be careful. I've got a lot of friends. Be careful what you say. (laughs) This guy one time was so upset with me, he thought he was talking to someone, and he was very negative and critical about me, and it got back to me. And I said, brother, you got to be careful. I'd rather you talk to me to my face than behind my back. Let's have a conversation. You don't know who I know. Be careful. And we have to think that way. There's a concern we have with each other instead of talking about. We need to do the Matthew 18, talking too. But we need to make sure those concerns are not just personal preferences. Because to come at someone because they're not thinking like you or doing it your way and then condemning them is wrong. How does that line up with Scripture? Scripture tells us if your brother sins, rebuke him. Not if he doesn't do it your way, rebuke him. Does that make sense, guys? So here we have, in this passage, God breaking down this fellowship he has with Moses. Keep going. Now here's what got me, verse 9. So the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. As Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous. Then Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord. Now, a minute ago, he was just Moses. <laughs> you remember back in the first verse? You know, Moses. You know, it's kind of like with your pastor sometimes. You know, you, oh, that's just John. But then when something happens, that's Pastor John all of a sudden. I mean, you, you see the, the, the distinction that happened here real quickly when things became clear where God stood. I mean, it's just it's fascinating to me when you read this. There's so many things. We don't have time to do all the details here. Uh, but when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, white as snow. As Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous. Then Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, I beg you, do not account this sin to us, in which we have acted foolishly and in which we have sinned. O oh, do not let her be like one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. When, she, uh, when he comes from his mother's womb. Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, O oh God, heal her, I pray. But the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, would she not bear her shame for seven days? Let her be shut up from seven days outside the camp, and afterward she may be received again. So Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move 
until Miriam was received again. Now, what's fascinating is, isn't it interesting how her choice to use her mouth caused a million people to be delayed in the process that God set? How dangerous can our mouths be and the impact it just doesn't have on us, but other people? So let's process that together. So looking at point number one, the effects of criticism, we're just kind of looking. Does that make sense? Isn't that just a chilling reality when you just, I mean, just go back. If you get a chance, just meditate on that. And all the things that God unpacks for us about the problem of speaking against somebody, the criticism that's here. So with that in mind, what we understand from verses one to three is that criticism sets us against our brother or our sister. Now, again, we're not talking about calling sin out on another brother or sister. See, Luke 6 or Galatians 6, 1 says, If any man is caught in sin, brethren, you who are spiritual, go and restore such a one. So the reality is, when there is an issue, if I love you, I should come talk to you. But he says, you who are spiritual, not you who are critical. So you who are spiritual, if you take that back to Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, self-control. You who are walking by the Spirit, you go and restore. You who are in the flesh, you will bite and devour. So it's fascinating that the issue here is never about someone's problem. It's how we choose to address the problem and truly what we're defining as the problem. Is this a problem that the Bible would describe as a problem? Or is this a problem that you've created because it doesn't match your preferences or this person isn't operating the way you would, so therefore you have a problem with them? Big difference. Discernment has to happen And distinguishing between criticizing someone and calling out sin. And even if it is sinful to make sure we're not criticizing them in their sin, but loving them enough to walk by the Spirit to see what we can do to serve. But what we see from this passage is that criticism sets us up against our brother or sister, but also criticism ruins our fellowship with God. If you notice in that verse, verse 4 to verse 9, which again... Just kind of gets me here. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, to Miriam, you three come out to the tent of meeting. And then we see all of what he says and his anger in verse 9. So criticism, God doesn't like it when we talk about his creation. He doesn't like it when we put down that which he created. Because we're putting ourselves as judge and jury, and there's only one judge and jury according to the book of James. Is that right? So I can't have a critical spirit and be in fellowship with God at the same time. I'm either in the flesh or in the spirit. Now, let me distinguish what that means, because for my black and white thinkers, my black and white thinkers take everything to the extreme. And what they heard me say was, I can't think about someone in sin and have fellowship with God at the same time. And that's not what I said. But my black and white thinkers will take it to the extreme. Here's what I said. You can't be critical of people in sin, not that you can't evaluate and see the sin in an individual. In other words, you won't put someone down and be in fellowship with God at the same time. You can call someone out and be in fellowship with God at the same time. You can see it for what it is and have the right mindset about it and be in fellowship with God at the same time. But you will not be critical 
and be in fellowship with God. Does everybody understand the difference there? Just want to kind of tease that out a little bit. But thirdly, criticism brings about negative consequences to our lives. Think about the people you're critical with now. And for some of you, you give your opinion when people don't ask. And you wonder why no one wants to talk to you. (laughs) You know those people. Well, you know what I think? I really don't want to know. But you're going to tell me anyway. I think you should da-da-da-da-da. And I don't see why you're doing such and such. No one asked you what you thought. You know what I tell people a lot of time? The best advice is the advice that people will ask for, not the unsolicited that you give them. And you'll discover people will value what you have to say more when you say less. Is that true or false? True? Right? Criticism can affect the progress of others. And we see that. We see that. I I look back over the years of some of the things that I have said, some of the things that have been said to me, and I didn't realize just how powerful our words can be to people. Now, let me clarify that with a few things here for people you care about and considerate of what they say there are certain people that will say things about me or say things it will never cross my mind i'll sleep good at night but there are other people who will say those exact same things it'll keep me up all night why because of the value of that person to me which means their words are valuable to me The question you have to ask, whose words are valuable to you and whose words or your words are valuable to others? And have you thought about what you've said, how you've said it and why you've said it? Because it has an impact. Now, I've said a whole lot in a little bit of time. You guys, hopefully by now, you know, I like to do commercial breaks, give you a chance to process a little bit of everything. So why don't we take about two or three minutes Go back over the book of Numbers, that section for a moment, at your table where you are. Look at the definition of a critical attitude, critical spirit. Look at point number one, and just think about some of the so what's. And what I mean by so what's, how does this apply to your life? How does this apply to your church? How does this apply to your marriage, your family? Where do you see some of these things sticking out? And just kind of talk a little bit about it in about two or three minutes. When we come back, we're going to look at some of the significant issues that we can find under the cloak of criticism. Some things that we need to think about. All right, take about two or three minutes. We'll come back, build on this a little bit more. All right, guys. If you turn to your Bibles to James chapter 4, let's look at verse 11 to verse 12, which kind of highlights just in principle what we just saw by the story. The, the Basically, this is the moral to the story, if you will. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 11 to 12. And he says, look at these words. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of the law. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you? Who judge your neighbor. The idea of judge here has to do with condemning. Okay. Two ways you can look at judge in the Bible. Because a lot of people who are guilty of sin will say, well, you can't judge me. You can't judge me. You know, and that's the one verse they remember in the Bible. 
right? And you have to help them understand. Let me unpack what judge means. There are two categories of judging. One category of judging is to put you down, to be condemning. The other category of judging is to call you out. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul was judge or judging the man who was sleeping with his father's wife and told the congregation that they should be judging those who are professing to be Christians, but I call it living like ain'ts, but they say they're saints. Okay? And they were called to judge, which means to call out, to, again, declare you are out of order. So there are two understandings of the word judge, and when people tell you, you can't judge me, you say, I can and I can't. Where I can't judge you is I can't put you down, which is out of line. And when I'm putting you down, there's something going on there. But I can judge in that I'm called and responsible, fellow brother or sister in Christ, to call you out respectfully. Because if your brother sins, rebuke him, Luke 17. If he repents, forgive him. Okay? Does everybody see where we're going here? So too often people take that word without understanding, judge, context of the passage determines when it's okay, when it's not okay. But in reality, I'm never called to put you down, but I am called to call you out. And you're called to do the same with me. Which means when it comes to the unbelieving world, God will deal with them in a sense of judging. So when I see unbelievers doing things that are inappropriate, it's not my place. But if I see a Christian doing something inappropriate, it's my place. However, I don't mind if those friends of mine who are unbelievers, I try to plant seeds and ask some questions. You know, do you think that was okay to do with the boss? Would you want the boss to do that to you? You know, just subtle things. I'm that guy. I'm that guy, you know. (laughs) But with that in mind, let's talk about this. When someone is being critical, I have discovered over the years in my own life, life of marriage and family, shepherd, counseling people, you can kind of see one of these issues going on, if not all of them. One who is critical of somebody else, they might be envious, as we saw with Miriam. And so I love it, you know, in a sense of when I hear criticalness to kind of see and talk more with the person to kind of egg out what's going on here. Is this envy? And so you have to bring them down a peg because, you know, you kind of want what they have or you think you should have what they have. So is it possible? And so I'm listening. That's one avenue. Another avenue may be, as we see here in the passage, let's look at Romans 12, 16 for a moment. Um, they may be prideful towards the other person. Turn to Romans 12. Sometimes people think they're better than you. And they don't mind expressing it in one way or another. Romans chapter 12, verse 16 says, Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. See, what's the implication there? I think I'm better than you, so I'm not going to associate with you. I think I'm higher up than you, so I'm not going to connect with you. I look at me, I look at you and go, peasant. So sometimes when people are critical, it's because they think that they are better than you. Now, the one that I find to be the most uh, plausible in most cases is the third one. I want to kind of unpack that for a moment. 
I teach a, a biblical count. I teach a few counseling courses around the country, but one of the places in Houston where I teach, um, I teach this principle. It takes one to know one. And how I set it up in the class is I have individuals and I'll say, now, this is your private sheet of paper. Don't show this to anybody. But I want you to write down the five things that irritates you the most in another person. You know, I said, don't show anybody. Just just for you. And you always have that class clown, right? Prof, just five. <laughs> I said, you know what? You write down as many as you want. I said, now, again, here's the clarification. Things that gripes you about another person that just gets under your skin, that just irritates you when they do blank. And so I have them write it down. I said, don't show anybody. This is just for you. And the clown on the back, oh, oh, oh I've got 20, prof. boy. I said, okay, you wrote them down? And I yes. I said, now, hear me well, and we're going to spend the next 30 minutes showing you this biblically. It takes one to know one. I said, the very things you wrote down is because either you have the same attitude or you have the same practice. And because you haven't addressed it, it's irritating you because God is using that person to show you yourself. They said, wait a minute, what are you saying? What are you saying? And then the fights begin, and that's when everybody, oh, prof, no, 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 right? But here's what happens. Now, notice what I said. I said, you either have the same attitude or the same behavior. So one guy, he starts out the pack, and I'll never forget this class, because every semester when I do this, it's always a fight, and I get ready for it. It's just fun to watch. (laughs) Pastor, professor, whatever you are, I, I disagree with you wholeheartedly, and then he's all rough and gruff. I said, well, sir, tell me why you disagree with me so heartily. My son is lazy, and I'm sorry. I'm going to stay on his back until he gets the work because he's so lazy. I said, just like in my class, you have five assignments you haven't turned in. I said, so if you want to help your son with his laziness, start in my class and get your work in on time. I said, so you criticizing your son is because you're not dealing with the laziness in my class. He got real quiet. Another guy says, oh, I, I disagree. I disagree. You said that if you are irritated, they're doing the same thing you're doing. Well, I'm always on time and I'm irritated when people are not on time. What about that? I said, you didn't hear me. I said, you either have the same attitude or behavior. I said, what irritates you because you're on time and they're not on time you recognize how inconsiderate they are because you're very inconsiderate with other people. You have the same hard attitude. He was like, yeah. So then a lady raises her hand and says, well, prof, I've got a friend. And she just goes on and on and on. She just keeps talking and talking and talking. She never knows when to be quiet. And it just gives up a nurse because she just rambles and rambles and rambles and just goes on and on and on. <laughs> And the whole class did exactly what you did. And she turned around and said, am I doing that? And the whole class said, yes. So another guy says to me, we got a controller in our small group and I'm sick of it. And prof, here's what you need to do to fix this in my small group. Did y'all pick up on that? I said, sir, can you repeat yourself? Just the way you just did it. I said, we have a controller in our group, and I'm tired of it, and you need to do something to fix this controller in our group. So what are you doing right now with me? And his eyes got big. 
I said, the things that gripe you the most about other people are the things that either you're doing in attitude or action. So then one person wanted to get real smarty pants. Well, where's that in the Bible? I said, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> I said, go to Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Let's, let's start there. So let's look at that for just a moment. Romans 2, verse 1. Look what he says here. Therefore, you have no excuse. Every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another... You condemn what? For you who judge, practice the what? Go on your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. This is where you use that judge appropriately. Matthew chapter 7 verse 1. Do not judge so that you not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? Verse 5, you hypocrite. Here's what makes the person a hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, then you will clearly see how to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The problem is not that you see it in somebody else. The problem is not that you want to help them. The problem is you hadn't started with yourself. This is why in many counseling cases, certain counselees bother you more than others. You ever notice that? That real stubborn counselee that just don't seem to listen? And it just gets under your skin how stubborn they are? You ever wonder why that bothers you so much? You know? Or that counselor that just seems to always have an excuse for not doing what they need to do and just gets under your skin. You wonder why that just bothers you so much? They are exposing you. Another example, Old Testament. Think about uh, Nathan confronting David. You remember that story? Why was David so irritated by that story? Because it takes one to know one. My wife and I, we were laying in bed one night, and we have two daughters. And I said, that daughter of yours, <laughs> that girl is so stubborn. She is getting on my nerves. You need to do something about her. I, this is, and she, she rolled over so smooth and said, why do you think that bothers you so much? I rolled over, and then I'm not talking to you. <laughs> When I realized that the stubbornness was so much in me, which is why I couldn't deal with my daughter at the level that I needed to, when I started dealing with my own stubbornness, I found out that hers wasn't as big as I thought it was. And for many of you, you haven't figured out yet that that child you have the difficulty with the most is the one that's the most like you in some attitude or action. And you're trying to wail it out of them when they're looking at you going, yeah, really? Really? You want to call me out on that? Does that make sense, guys? So when we start to really get to this criticism, get down to the core of it, either I'm envious, either I think I'm better than you, or I've got your same issue. And so when I'm counseling people who have critical spirits, I sit and listen, and I ask questions 
so I can kind of get to the core. And in most cases, it's letter C. A and B are there, but it's really more C than anything. But here's the danger there. These are the ones that want to help everybody else. Have you noticed that? People who are the most critical of other people, they're very sensitive, very insecure, but they want to control and help everybody else, but have a hard time listening to any direction. Have you seen that? You say, I'm not going to say anything because you're talking about me right now. Okay, I'll leave that alone. (laughs) Have you ever thought about it? And it's important you see that, again, there's a danger behind this critical spirit. And there's more to it than just being critical. It's exposing a heart condition that has to be addressed if you're going to change. That's why I tell people we don't have communication problems. We have interpretation problems, which are ultimately heart problems. In the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. To help you change your words without helping you address your heart is just behavior modification and you will have a relapse because we haven't dealt with the origin of where it's coming from or what the issue is truly about. So, number four, letter D, one who is critical of others is walking in sin towards God and the person they are being critical of. I've said a whole lot. I want to take a commercial break. Talk to the person next to you. Simple question. So what? How does any of this apply to me or anybody in my life? So what? How does any of this apply to me or anybody in my life? Take about two or three minutes. When we come back, we'll work this through. All right, guys. Would you turn to your Bibles to Romans chapter 12? And let's look at verse 14, Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Uh, We've done a lot of evaluation. Now let's do some solutions, okay? (laughs) We've cut open. Let's kind of heal a little bit, all right? So two things I want to talk about in closing. One, if you're being criticized, what you should do. And one, if you're being critical, what you should do. And let's look at some practical Steps. So let's first start with if you're being criticized, what you should do. And this is the hardest. And I know for me it's difficult, but uh, with my wife and my daughters and others, they're trying to teach me how to do this more and more as it relates to people. It says in Romans 12:14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. See, I like a good fight. That's the problem. If you want to go toe-to-toe, let's go. That's not a good look for a pastor. (laughs) Would you agree? So as a pastor, I need to be able to say kind things when people are nasty. I need to be nice. I need to look at the bright side of things. And over the years, God has taught me more and more about the reality of what that should look like. And so one of the things that I would encourage is I've been working on that for years Pray for people who are criticizing you. One of the things I'm also asking myself, well, is it true? And is it something I need to change? Because sometimes it may be true, you just didn't like the approach. And sometimes it may be true, but it doesn't need to change. They just don't like you. Let them be the up all night sleep, not you, or up all night while you sleep. Right? Because sometimes people just don't like the way you do things because it's not the way they would do it. And they always want to run stuff and they want to be in charge. And you're just not doing it because they're trying to create a mini them. 
And so it doesn't matter what you do. If it's not the way they did it, it's wrong, 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 wrong. And you have to embrace that that's the reality of showing that person love, but also not yielding out of the fear of man or being loving. Well, pastor, why are we not doing it that way? Well, because we just didn't. Well, don't you think, oh, I thought a lot and had wise counsel and this is the direction we're taking. Well, I don't agree. It's understandable. So you're not going to change it? No, sir. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, the old Nicholas, eh, it might have been a different conversation, which is why the Lord had to help me. I've had to eat a lot of humble pie, and it's starting to taste good. <laughs> now, I'd love for you to join me in that. <laughs> Amen. And the more humble pie, it didn't taste good at first, but it's starting to, I'm liking the little seasoning and the aftertaste. It's starting to, you know, it's coming around. Uh, speak kindly to those who criticize us. Do good to the one who's criticizing. Not quarrel, but gently correct those who may oppose us if appropriate. Sometimes you just need to be quiet. And take the nastiness in Jesus' name. While you think of kind words to say in return. I have found that to be the most effective. I didn't realize the power of returning something kind when people are evil to you. Or here's something that shocks people. You're right. What's the solution? That blows people away sometimes. Because they came ready to fight. And you give in and say, so then what do we do about it? I love to do that when stakes are high in marriages and they're fighting in front of me and they forget I'm in the room. And I say, you know what? You're right. He is that. You're right. She is that. Now what are we going to do about it? How does that change what God has asked both of you to do with each other? And by the way, I told you how selfish she was before you married him. I told you how stubborn she was before you got married. This isn't a surprise. So now what are we going to do? I agree with both of you about the assessment of each one of you. Oh, you didn't think there was a solution? That was the goal, just to tell me how bad both of you were? And then they're shocked. You will be amazed what happens when you focus on solutions Instead of problems. It changes the nature of the conversation. And one of the things I try to do with others is to challenge them there. I've heard you over seven times in this meeting tell me the exact same thing you've said the last 13 times, which is this is the problem. I'm asking you now, what do we, not me, what do we do about this? What is within the resources that God has given us in this local assembly to make this right? What wisdom do we need to call out for? What wisdom do we already have? What resources do we have that we can resolve this? Because the kind of church we must be is solution-centered, not problem-centered. Guess what happens when you start doing that on a personal level with people? 
it moves us from criticism to correction. Now, what if you're being critical of others? Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 to verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 to verse 12. Is this making sense to you guys? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 to verse 12. He says, For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Purpose for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If you are being critical of others, you should identify the reasons you have a critical spirit. Why are you being so critical towards this person, that person, this group, that individual, et cetera, et cetera? But secondly, identify areas of your life where you're practicing the same thing. Because perhaps it irritates you so much because there's something about you that you haven't addressed in your own life, either heart attitude or behavior. And as you do that, confess and repent of the critical spirit you have towards that person and replace that critical spirit with praise and encouragement. The more we focus on the solution versus the problem, the more we can move forward and change. You know how you stop having a grumbling spirit? For everything that you're grumbling about, think of two things you can praise God for. Guess what happens? You grumble less and less and less. You praise more and more and more. I always tell people the goal of change is not what you stop, it's what you start. Habits aren't broken, habits are replaced. And too often we're trying to break habits versus replace them. A thief is no longer a thief, not when he stops stealing, but when he starts giving, when he could have stolen. A liar is no longer a liar, not when they stop lying. There may be nothing to lie about that day. It's when they tell the truth, when they could have told a lie. The reality for you and I is we can overcome a critical spirit. We have the power of God to do that. Here's the key point. Consider this. A continually critical attitude toward those around me will consume all that's healthy and joy-producing in my life. You have a choice, guys. And think about the reality of what God has given you. And when you see the capacity of what you can be and what you've already become because of the grace of our king, it should change your perspective about other people. And the more you can see your own self in the midst of these things and work on that, the more grace and mercy you will have on other people.